The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome to Rebel Podcast episode, we don't always do this, but episode 147. This is P-Nate, that's just me coming today with a a kind of a low-key episode, but introducing a really exciting new series that we're doing. But before we get into any of that, I just want to say welcome to all of our listeners. Like I said, this is Rebel Podcast number 147, and we are the Rebel Podcast. We drop every Wednesday on the Reformed Rebel Network. That's the new network name of all the podcasts that you've come to expect. So we have uh, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids that comes out on Mondays, and they are now splitting their time with a new venture that's been started. That is the Apprentice Theologians, which we're really excited about. So Blaine Rollette and Lila Van Brimmer are uh, two young people who are connected to the podcast through their parents, and uh, they've started a new podcast called The Apprentice Theologians, and kind of looking at culture and applied theology through the eyes of teenagers and tweens, and kind of just uh, how to how to navigate it, a very difficult time and age in life, and how to look at culture through a biblical lens. So we're really excited about that. So that will share Mondays with the Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, which is a podcast for your family, for your kids and Grant and the kids go through some church fathers and some church history and some stuff that will really help you as a family kind of talk about things that matter. And then of course on Tuesdays, the Awakening Reformation podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. And today you have the Rebel podcast that drops on Wednesdays. And we also have the uh, podcast for cultural reformation coming out of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and that drops on Fridays. So just a whole host of podcasts line up and you can get them all from this feed. And we also have blog posts. Andrew Emery posted a great blog this past week on the website about the mission of God and what you should read next. So I just recommend all of the content that's coming out of the Reformed Rebel Network. You can find us on Facebook, on the internet, and of course, you can go to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash reformed rebel if you want to give back to the show. Lots of cool things happening. And we, the Rebel Podcast, are starting a new series as well. Chris couldn't join me today. But this is just going to be a short episode kind of introing a new series that we're going to spend a little bit of time on. One of the things we love about what we do is just how many of our listeners actually just interact with us, send us messages about where where they're at, where they're from, where they're going, their journey into Reformed theology, oftentimes their journey into post-millennial eschatology and how that has made an impact. So we're just so thankful for the testimonies that we do receive from our listeners. But also we love getting questions. And we got a question from a longtime listener about universalism. And just so our listeners understand, because we're going to tackle this topic in the next couple of weeks, this is a topic 
that's near and dear to my heart because I have some very close loved ones in my life who have fallen into this heretical view as well. And so we launched a new sermon series at Crossroads Alliance Church, which is where I pastor, where Chris leads worship. So Pudi and Pinhate Home Church is Crossroads Alliance Church, for those of you who haven't heard us say that before. But we launched into a new series where I'll just be preaching verse by verse through Galatians this year. And as we got here, our focus obviously is going to be on the gospel this year. And and so we were just chatting about the sermon series and about some of these questions that have come in about universalism. And we also had a question that came in about the word of faith movement. And what we recognized is that a lot of these heresies that we fall into, that we often get questions about, and, and the questions come from very good places of people whose friends and family members are caught in and entangled in these heretical views. They start with a perversion of the gospel that kind of spins its way into every other aspect of Christian life. The gospel is the centerpiece of, of the Christian faith. It's Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and in our place. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But that centerpiece of the gospel is, is really why Paul was able to say to the Philippian elders when he was leaving the church in Philippi that I was convinced to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Paul was a man who didn't believe in moving on from the gospel. He was a man who believed that the gospel not only began, but also sustained our Christian life throughout. And so the gospel is so center. And if we get that wrong, if there are small perversions in the gospel that we understand and the gospel that we hear on a regular basis, it spins its way into all these other aspects of our Christian life. And so I've only preached uh, the first couple of verses in Galatians, but I'm going to kind of go through some of the first couple chapters of Galatians and read them right now on the podcast just to intro this series. So the book of Galatians was likely written in the mid 40s. It was obviously written by the Apostle Paul and it was written to, and there's some some manner of controversy in terms of the scholarly debates around this, but I think it's pretty compelling evidence that would suggest that the book of Galatians was a book that Paul wrote to the southern churches in the Roman province of Galatia. That would include cities like Lystra and Iconium and Derby, which are places that Paul visited in his first missionary journey. And in the book of Acts, we read about him going into some of these various places, planting churches. And I believe that the book of Galatians was written to those places where he set up churches and he's sending them this letter. And I believe that there's a whole lot of internal and external evidence that would suggest that Paul actually wrote the book of Galatians from Antioch before he traveled from Antioch to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council that's recorded in Acts 15. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the whole story, in Acts 15, we have recorded the narrative, the story of the Jerusalem Council. And that is when the apostles and many of the church leaders were called back to Jerusalem off the missionary field, so to speak, or from their other churches that they had been ministering at in order to come together to answer the question, do new converts need to become Jewish in order to become Christians? This whole Jesus movement was brand new. This whole idea that salvation came by Christ, that the Messiah had come, that he died for our sins, that he'd risen again, that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. This whole thing is relatively new. And the apostles are preaching this new and radical gospel that salvation, that right standing with God comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But to an ethnic Jewish population that has been used to God's covenant and relationship with them being on an ethnic level. There are all kinds of difficulties to sort out. 
And if you can't see that tension playing itself out in the New Testament, you're just not reading the your New Testament correctly. Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, Paul really goes after this. The book of Galatians really goes after this. The book of 1 Corinthians is really going after this. There's a whole lot of pastoral care being done by the early apostles and by the early church leaders to help navigate what is it, how can Jew and Gentile come together into this new one people, as Paul would describe it in Ephesians chapter 2, right? That God has taken down the dividing wall of hostility, which was literally the physical wall in the temple past which Gentiles couldn't travel. So even if Gentiles came to the temple to worship Yahweh, they couldn't get past the dividing line, the dividing wall of hostility. It was the the wall that kept the Gentiles at arm's length. And I've preached before, we've talked on this podcast before about the ultimate plans and purposes of God to save people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, that Israel was always meant to be a conduit through which the blessing of God and the salvation of God would reach the ends of the earth. So when the Messiah came, that plan got ramped up and the Jews were trying to figure out what that meant for them on a practical level, right? Do we still have to adhere to dietary laws? Do we still have to adhere to the laws that would restrict behavior that would make us ceremonially unclean? And they were trying to figure all this stuff out. And so the Jerusalem Council was them coming together asking, do we need to be circumcised? Do they need to become Jewish? Do we need to adhere to dietary laws and all those kinds of things? And so Paul, who's summoned from Antioch to be a part of this Jerusalem Council, and he stands up in the Jerusalem Council, and gives his bit. I believe that when he was leaving Antioch, he really didn't know how this thing was going to shake out. He didn't know if in Jerusalem that the church would come to the right conclusion and defend the gospel of free grace. And so I believe that from Antioch, before traveling to the Jerusalem Council, hoping and praying and trusting God that it would go the way he wanted it to, but not sure exactly how it was going to go, he was writing this letter to the churches that he planted, reminding them of the gospel that saved them in the first place. Okay, so the book of Galatians is written to some of those early churches that Paul planted in case the Jerusalem Council kind of breaks the wrong way and suddenly word comes down from on high that they have to be circumcised in order to be saved. I think Paul writes the book of Galatians to kind of hedge his bets and to make sure that the churches that he planted were not going to be corrupted by a false gospel if the Jerusalem Council came to the wrong conclusions. Right, so the book of Galatians... In verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. And so Paul writes these very harsh words, very strong words, right? A lot of Paul's letters, they kind of start off on a good level. He kind of commends the church that he's writing to for something, even if correction had to come later. But Paul Paul doesn't have time for that in this letter, right? He writes this, I'm astonished, right? He, he writes it right after his kind of cordial greetings. He, he gets right to the matter here. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So Paul is very concerned 
that his people are being corrupted by the Judaizers who would come after him and say that you have to become circumcised, that you have to follow ceremonial laws in order to be saved. Paul preached a gospel of radical free grace, that there is nothing necessary for salvation except to trust in Jesus who did it all for you. And so that's what he's writing about. And it's interesting because he, he even sets up, in case this thing breaks the wrong way, he sets it up. If we or anybody preaches to you a different gospel, right? He's saying, let him be a curse. Let him be anathema. Paul is literally calling down the curse of God, the wrath of God upon an individual who would distort the gospel of free grace. And I think it's, it's interesting. So there's a couple things just to point out here. Number one, notice that Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So when we turn away from the true gospel, when we embrace a different gospel, we're not just embracing a different theological perspective. We're actually turning away from God the Father, right? That's the language that Paul's using. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So Paul recognizes that if you step away from, if you turn away from, if you embrace a different gospel, you're not just embracing a different theological perspective. You're not just jumping into a different kind of subsect or different tribe of Christianity. You are turning away. You are deserting him, God the Father, who called you. The second thing to notice is he goes on to say in verse 10 and 11, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. And this starts Paul, and I'll actually read some of it, but this starts Paul talking about how he was preached the gospel, that he received divine revelation from Jesus himself. And what he's looking at here is he's saying this wasn't man's gospel. This isn't something made up by man. In other words, and you notice in verse 7 after he says you're turning to a different gospel, he says, not that there is another one. So Paul's message is that there's only one gospel. It belongs to God, not us. And if it belongs to God, it's not ours to tamper with. And yet we live in a culture right now that is very quick to tamper with the very gospel. And what I mean by that is that the gospel of free grace is scandalous in a lot of ways. Number one, it's scandalous because it requires nothing added to it in order to be justified before God. It's all grace. It's all free. That's scandalous to our pride because we always want to contribute something to our own salvation. Whether it's belief itself or anything else, we want to contribute something to our salvation because we don't like handouts, because we're prideful, because we recognize that free grace doesn't give us any credit. Not only is it scandalous because it requires nothing else, But it's also scandalous because it actually justifies sinners. It actually calls us what we are, sinners, rebels of God, haters of God, enemies of God. So it's not only scandalous because it's free grace, but it's also scandalous because it calls us what we truly are. This is why Jesus reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees, because they were incapable of recognizing their need for the saving grace of God, right? They looked upon their righteousness. In fact, there's the story of the tax collector and the sinner. It's a parable that Jesus tells. 
And it's a very interesting parable because the Pharisee is standing up before the altar in the temple and he says, you know, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner, kind of looking at the tax collector there. What's interesting about that, and he goes on about, you know, fasting and praying and all his righteous deeds. And I think we misread this story because what we read about in that story, what many of us walk away with is the idea that, okay, my work, right, I'm in need of God's grace. My work can't earn salvation. Amen. Absolutely. That's definitely part of what it's saying. But notice that the Pharisee actually thanks God for his righteousness, right? I thank you, God, that I do these things and I don't do that. So he's recognizing the grace of God in his life. But if anything, the Pharisee is believing what I would call almost a a modern Catholic gospel, and that is that he's trusting the imparted righteousness of God as opposed to the imputed righteousness of Christ, right? Do you see this, the subtle difference there? Because the tax collector that says bangs his chest, won't even look up and just says, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. The most chilling part of that whole parable is Jesus says, one of those men went down justified before God. So he's talking about justification. And that Pharisee thanked God for his righteousness. So what he was trusting in was the imparted righteousness, the grace of God that helps him be sanctified and become more like God. That's what that Pharisee was trusting in, as opposed to the imputed righteousness of Christ. So one of the components of the gospel that I think is so important and that Paul would agree with as he goes into Galatians to to preach this gospel to them is the total reliance on the imputed righteousness of Jesus, not the imparted righteousness of God. So he's writing this book of Galatians and, and listen to what he says right after he says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. That's verse 11 of chapter one. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now here, Paul is going to actually preach the gospel while he's defending his apostleship. It's, it's quite stunning. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, (laughs) there's election, right? There's unconditional election. And who called me by his grace, there's irresistible grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul's actually using his very testimony to preach the theology behind the gospel. What is the gospel in in how Paul describes this story? The gospel is, I was an enemy of God, yet because he had elected me, chosen me before the foundation of the world, he was pleased to reveal his son to me and show me his grace and save me in my sins, right? So there you have a very Calvinistic, a very monergistic gospel. What I mean by that is simply that this is God saving Paul, not Paul choosing to believe in God. And he's embedding that very theology right into his testimony, Just as a side note, I think we should take a page out of Paul's book. We should learn from Paul, imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, and we should allow our testimonies to bring glory to God. How many of us tell our testimonies about, you know, well, I was really seeking, I was looking for something, I was this, I was that, not even realizing that Romans 3 tells us that no one seeks God, no one is good, no one understands. 
And so here's Paul, who in his very testimony is bringing glory to the saving work of God and testifying to the fact that it's all grace. So Paul kind of gets into the crux of the matter in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And he goes through and he expounds upon this. But what the book of Galatians is really all about is defending that, defending the idea that grace comes by trusting in the completed work of Jesus, not by adherence to the law. And so what this series that we want to launch into is, is the defense of the one true gospel. And then each episode, we're going to grab a distortion of the gospel, right? We're going to talk about the word of faith movement. We're going to talk about the prosperity gospel. We're going to talk about the antinomian gospel. We're going to talk about the legalistic gospel. We're going to be talking about the mystic gospel. We'll be talking about the pluralistic or the universalist gospel. All of these various gospels are distortions of the gospel. And here's the thing. I don't think that all distortions of the gospel are done by, you know, evil people seeking their own glory. I think ultimately that might be what it comes down to. But I think that there are some well-intentioned people who begin to chip away the hard edges of the gospel in order to make it more palatable to the culture, right? For example, the antinomian gospel, or we'll call it the no judgment gospel. This is, if grace is free, then we ought not to judge the sin in one another's lives, and it doesn't matter how we live. This actually leads into the sort of revoice and the livingout.org gay Christian lifestyle has been perverted by this antinomian gospel. And so they believe that they can identify, they can hold on to their sinful identities as gay, LGBT, transgender, whatever it is, and add Jesus, add the gospel to it, and stay in that sinful identity. Well, that's to misunderstand the very gospel because the very gospel says that you are saved and you are baptized into Christ so that your identity becomes one of sons, sons of God, adopted into the family of God. All other, in fact, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen or something like that, it says that for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So our old sinful selves are actually killed, are actually crucified, are actually destroyed. And a new creation, this is death and resurrection, come into play when we accept the gospel. And so the idea that we can bring any of our sinful identities. Now, God leaves indwelling sin, and that manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. But the reality is that we are completely new creations. And so the antinomian gospel denies the newness of the new creation that the gospel brings about, right? You look at certain other perversions of the gospel, you think about the prosperity gospel. And what the prosperity gospel says is, once again, that you can leave man in his own sin. They've actually found a gospel that allows them to not mortify the greed and the selfishness and the self-centeredness in their own lives. 
and we'll look at these. We're going to look at each one of these individually. And if you have an idea, if you have family members who are caught up in heretical churches, send us. We want to get to the roots of these sorts of things. Awakening Reformation did a really good series not that long ago called Uncovering the Origins. And they looked into societal organizations like Planned Parenthood, like public education, and they kind of uncovered the origins. What was the genesis to these organizations? And can we learn anything about them by uncovering their origins? Similarly, what we want to do is we want to look at the perversions, the theological errors that are prevalent in the church now. We want to ask the question, what is the distortion of the gospel that has weeded its way, that has slithered its way into that movement at the beginning that planted the seeds for the bad theology that we're now seeing? Because the true gospel, the real gospel of free grace, is that God created the world, and though he created the world good, the world has been tainted with sin because of the disobedience of our first parents. And so this world is fallen, and it has thorns and thistles and sin and death because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And like chips off the old block, all of us who are born under the lineage of Adam, we choose the same sinful, self-centered lifestyle that caused him to disobey God. And so we are born in rebellion, born with a propensity to want to live life to maximize our own greatness. The real gospel of free grace acknowledges that we are sinners in need of salvation, that our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden plunged this world into sin and into death and into chaos and into ruin because of their disobedience. And just like them, we live lives in rebellion towards God. We make ourselves the center and we are not accountable to our creator and we are sinners Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are all sinners who are in need of a savior. And God, at the right time, sent his son into the world to be the propitiation that we needed. So what that means is that God himself became a man. The divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ are both necessary components in believing the true gospel. Why? Well, because My blood might be very valuable to me, but it's not all that valuable to you. My blood is not valuable enough to be offered as any sort of sacrifice on behalf of another. So Jesus needed to be God, right? The Savior needed to be God because only God's blood, only God's life is worth enough to cover the ransom, cover the cost, cover the penalty of the entire world. But he also needed to be human because it was humans' sin that needed to be atoned for. It was we were the ones, humans were the ones who rebelled against God and needed to be set right with God. So Jesus needed to be both divine and needed to be human. And he came and he was born a man for that purpose. And he lived a sinless life. This is a necessary understanding, a necessary component of the gospel is to understand that Jesus lived a completely sinless life. Why? Because if we do not believe that Jesus was completely obedient to the law of God, completely obedient to the will of God, completely sinless in all that he did, then there is nothing for him to impute to us. 
Only perfection can gain access to the Father. Only perfection can live with God forever. And so it's not enough that Jesus just died for our sins. What he needed to do was live a perfect life so that his obedience and his sinlessness could be given, credited to us. The sinless, perfect life of Jesus is a necessary component. And then when he dies on the cross, what we believe is that our sins were given to him. C.S. Lewis calls this the great exchange. Both are necessary components of understanding the true gospel. Jesus' sinless perfection, his perfect obedience is imputed, is given, is credited to us, and our sin and our disobedience and our rebellion and our punishment is imputed to him. It's double imputation. Our sin and disobedience exchanged for his sinlessness and his obedience. And that's the exchange that happens on the cross. When he dies, his righteousness is imputed to us, our sin is imputed to him, and he dies under the curse that should have been placed on us. He dies in our place. When he dies, he doesn't stay dead. He resurrects. Three days later, he comes out of the empty tomb because sin had no claim on him. Death had no claim on him because the sting of death is sin. And so Jesus resurrects, inaugurating a new creation, recognizing that now because he has been resurrected, we can all be resurrected. He ascends to the right hand of the Father where he's reigning now and he sends his spirit that indwells our spirits. His spirit that indwells the life of believers, that quickens us, that does the regenerating work of applying the gospel reality to our very souls. And so the gospel is not something that we can simply believe. The gospel is something that happens to us. The Holy Spirit applies the finished work of Jesus to sinful people. That's the gospel. And all that's required, all that's required is to believe it and to trust in God, to avail ourselves of the mercy of God, to trust in the completed work of Jesus. Nothing else is required. We don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to go to church every Sunday. We don't have to read our Bibles every day. We don't have to live a sinless life. It was lived for us. And I think that's such a, such a freeing thing. This is what Paul kept getting over and over again. And this is why we have to preach this so pointedly that the question should arise, well, then why shouldn't I just keep on sinning, right? That like Paul preached free grace so radically that people's response was, well, then why don't I just keep on sinning so that grace should abound? That's how radically we should be preaching free grace. But of course, it doesn't end there because real conversion, real radical belief in this gospel leads to a transformed life. That's the indwelling spirit, and we'll get into some of that stuff because messing with that is part of where some people have gotten the gospel wrong. But that's the gospel. The gospel is that you do not trust in the righteousness that God gives you. He does not give you the grace to be good enough to earn your way into heaven. You trust in the once and for all completed transaction, Jesus imputed righteousness to you, your sins imputed to him, nailed to the cross, died with him on the cross, resurrected three days later. That's what we believe in. It's done. It's once and for all. Your right standing before God has been purchased by the blood of Jesus and his righteousness has been imputed to you. When God the Father looks at you, he sees his beloved son with whom he's well pleased because you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. 
This is the new man that we are to put on. Live like that new man, Paul would say later to the Ephesians. So we want to stand on that one true gospel. We want to expound the gospel of free grace. And we want to examine all of the ways in which the modern North American church, and quite frankly, the modern global church, have perverted it in various ways, put our finger on the errors and where they've strayed so that we can jump into conversations with our loved ones who have believed a false gospel, but we can also protect ourselves against the errors of allowing inconsistencies and unbiblical ideas into our understanding of the gospel. So it's just me today introing the series. The series is going to be called No Other Gospel. And we're going to uh, delve into all these other things. If you have any suggestions or questions for us as we delve into this, starting next week, it's going to be me and Pudi. And I think the first couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the pluralistic or the universalist gospel. And we're going to talk about the word of faith and prosperity gospel in our first two episodes. That's where we're going. And if you have suggestions on where else you'd like to see us go, by all means, drop us a line. Look forward to seeing you next week and looking forward to jumping into this series. So hope you have a great week. Follow the rest of the content and we'll see you next time.